Football Podcast. What up, what up, fantasy people? This is the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Travis Seal. I'm back with my co-host Tyrell McLaughlin. How you doing, Ty? I am very excited. How you doing? I'm doing well, too. I'm stoked. We got a special guest on this podcast. Um, he is an analyst with Fantrax. He is one half of the Fantasy Tilt podcast, and he is also a co-author of the Fantasy Black Book. We got Nate Hamilton on the pod. Nate, how you doing? I'm doing all right, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we were just talking before we started recording here about uh, how Canadian we all are. So uh, even though I live in the States, I'm, I'm still pretty Canadian. So uh, thanks for having me on. I feel like I'm home. Right on, right on. Yeah, Nate's got a lot of cold weather where he's from, and he's got some French-Canadian descendants. So uh, we tabbed him honorary before the pod here. So Nate Hamilton is an honorary <laughs> Canadian. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah, Trav, you mentioned a lot of the stuff with Nate. I just What really sticks out to me, Nate, is you've contributed to like a handful of the best sites out there. Trav named a couple, but also Fantasy Pros, the Fantasy Footballers, Fantasy Data as well. Uh, yes, fantasy yeah. data if people haven't heard of it it's excellent eh? it's a site i've really embraced over the last couple of years i love the way they've gone about their website and data and of course their employees uh so yeah sorry nate i just wanted to make no, sure we I... ingratiate ourselves to you since you know you you got some pull with half the resources i swear by <laughs> fantasy. i i really appreciate that yeah i love the guys over at fantasy data i talk to them all the time and uh They've actually implemented a couple things that I've suggested their way. So, uh, and it's it's honestly it's my number one source I I use for for my um, stats and everything. So I'm glad that you mentioned them. And fancy footballers, man, I I wrote with those guys for three years. You know, I'm, I'm I consider myself close friends with them. Uh, you know, I've seen them a handful of times in person, and uh, great guys. And obviously, everybody knows how big they are in the industry. So. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate all those former mentions because without those steps, I want to be where I am today. So uh, thanks for that. Well said. So what do we got on the docket, Trap? Yeah, we got a pretty good pod here. We, uh, we're we going to start with something that's kind of in the same vein as Nate's podcast with Keaton Denley, The Fantasy Tilt. We're going to talk about something that's got us on tilt. Then after that, we're going to get into some ambiguous or uncertain situations around the NFL. So we're going to talk about some position groups or some guys who have a little bit of turmoil surrounding them. And we're going to kind of break down those situations and sift through a little bit of the muck there. Right arm. So should we kick it off? Yeah. You ready to get into it, Nate? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. Why don't you give us your uh, off-season fantasy tilt? I'm freaking out, man. You are freaking out, man. So <laughs> this one's off the cuff right now because I actually had something prepared for this. But I, the fact that we're, we're talking about fantasy tilt, we're, we're, we're jumping right into that. And we're talking about my buddy Keaton. Uh, I guess I'll just go right ahead and say that I'm on tilt because him and I haven't recorded since August. I know. Uh, right. Life has been crazy for us. Uh, you know, um, he does a lot of things uh, involving elections. So unfortunately... What I'm tilted about is we're probably not even going to be doing the podcast this season either because it's, it's you know, presidential election year and he's going to be super busy and my life hasn't slowed down at all. And, you know, he's he's got young children. I've got a four-year-old. So, um, unfortunately, I don't know how often we'll record if we do at all this season. So, that's got me on tilt. Uh, another thing f- is... Just the entire 2019 season, to be honest. <laughs> okay. It was so, a down year. So yeah. two years, it's unbelievable. Like two years ago, I was in 13 leagues and I won like seven of them. I just felt amazing. But I felt like I needed to reduce the amount of leagues I was in because it was just, you know, it took up way too much of my time, just just leagues alone. So I, I went down to nine. It's still a lot for a lot of people. But I was down to nine leagues, didn't even make a single championship round, like in anything. So, you know, here I am, you know, spouting off all this advice. But the truth is, I just didn't dedicate the time that I needed to for each individual uh, league that I was in. So I, I never left myself enough time to check out waiver wire for all of the all of the things. And uh, the truth is, I prefer when the people I help do a lot better than what I do anyway. And uh, that seemed to be the case. I got a lot of compliments this year, uh, people reaching out to me how much I helped them out. So at the end of the day, I'm tilted about it, but you know, whenever I get that back in return, it's all worth it for me. 
Totally. I mean, all I can do is just take that and and learn from it. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> all right, man. So my off-season tilt, actually, shoot, it's mine's related to the big game, so it's not really off-season. But I do not like how the two weeks leading up to the big game is filled with advanced analytics, deep dives, research for days. But in the 20 weeks leading up to the big game, my buddies call me nerd this, point Dexter that. But when we break it down, like a lot of these metrics, the stats, all this good stuff, it's very useful when using in context. It's pretty predictive. And we're seeing it slowly bleed into kind of the broadcast. PFF is widely cited now, although that's a longer story in itself. But we hear about players and market share and all that stuff now. So everybody embraces it and uses it in combination with the eye test during the big game every season. But seemingly immediately afterwards, we're we're unceremoniously sent back to our mother's basements. So that's that's kind of my gripe. Yeah, Ty, I know you got lots of stats in the chamber for this episode, and we, we do a lot of, you know, deep dive on the numbers and whatnot, and you probably are way heavier into it than I am, and uh, it's pretty cool, and the way we kind of use that and morph them and form our opinions off that. Just some perfect harmony. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give my tilt here. My tilt is, uh, I'm actually tilting back in favor of the redraft format. So, you know, I, I got heavy into Dynasty a couple seasons ago, and it's a great format. I love the year-round uh, piece to it. But, Nate, I know you're kind of a, mainly a redraft guy, I think you mentioned. You specialize in yes, that. And absolutely. Uh, Ty and I have talked about it a little bit, too. And redraft is still a great format. Um, in season, I feel like you can just kind of be a bit of an assassin. You don't have to get too attached to these players. You can dump guys who aren't performing. You know, you don't have to be so hesitant to make a trade. You can just kind of smash it. So I like that part about in season. And then as far as off season, it's nice because you get a little bit of a slowdown period where you can soak in all that information and prep for your next draft and get all, all your tools in your tool belt, so to say, um, to go into, I guess, 2020 drafts now. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm tilting on the mild hate that's been out there for redraft because I think it's still a great format. Most of us got into fantasy playing redraft, and I think it, you know, deserves to be shown a little bit more love than what it's getting these days. Yeah, I mean, redraft got me into fantasy football, so I can never let that go completely, obviously. And the truth is, it's you know, you kind of mentioned or touch on this where in redraft, you know, you, you get to make mistakes and learn from them. And and implement what what you learned next season, and not have to live with your mistakes. You know, um, if if you're not you know familiar with fantasy football, I wouldn't recommend you jumping into any dynasty leagues right away, just because you know you could put yourself in a bad way early on, and it might turn you off to the whole fantasy football thing in general. So for for anybody just starting out, I 100% recommend redraft, and you know you'll fall in love with it just like I did, and I think you'll you'll still remain in a few redraft leagues, regardless of you know whether you end up doing DFS or, or Dynasty or any other uh, format. I think redraft kind of stays with you, uh, at least it has for me. Couldn't agree more, and that's why I love redraft. That's why I love best ball. The best ball is awesome too. Yeah, I love that. Okay, guys, so now we're all kind of on tilt here. Let's dive into a handful of these ambiguous situations. Some just a player or a position group. Some we can go a little bit longer if we want to dive into the offense a little bit more. And to start, if anyone's not tilting, I will get you there. We're going to start with Le'Veon Bell. Oh. Yeah, Lev Bell, Adam Gase, and most importantly, Lev Bell fantasy owners, all on tilt in 2019. <laughs> they broke the Cardinal rule, Nate. We could see it when they were on tilt. You never show it when you're on tilt, but we could all see it. 100%, I agree with you. Le'Veon Bell, he's he's an interesting one uh, for me this year. You know, there's, there's talk just because of the way he's handled himself and... Um, you know, whether or not the Jets are going to trade him. I don't see that happening. No. You know, eh? that's the, the, he's on a contract with yeah. a $15.5 million cap hit and $17 million in dead cap. So I don't think he's going anywhere, not for 2020. Nobody's going to take that type of money on with him. Um, obviously, his coach, Adam Gase, did not help uh, his stats and his situation. He ended up being the RB17 on the season. You know, an awful O-line. He's got a potential out in 2021 with a $4 million cap hit. So I, th I think if he is going to leave the Jets, that's that's when it will be. But anybody who owns him, he, he's stuck on the Jets in this season. And I don't see his, his stats dramatically improving uh, from what we've seen last season. He had, you know, an awful yard per carry at 3.2, four total touchdowns, which is, 
you know, touchdowns always kind of have been an issue for Le'Veon Bell. And now that he's on the Jets, which is not a better situation than what he was with the Steelers, um, again, I just don't see his numbers increasing dramatically uh, from what we've seen this last season. So just just take that into consideration with how you value Le'Veon Bell. And for me, he, he's a sell candidate if you have him in Dynasty. So I would go ahead and sell him. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet to say that he's a sell. It was definitely underwhelming with that offensive line and that Adam Gase offense. You mentioned that he was the uh, the running back 17. Even on 245 carries, he couldn't even muster 800 rushing yards in that offense. Uh, Ty's talked a lot about how slow and kind of non-innovative the Adam Gase offense is. So uh, I'm kind of with you. I look for kind of similar production to what he had this year. I do kind of like what he did in the passing game. He did get a fair, fair amount of targets. Uh, over half of his fantasy points were in the receiving game so there, there is a little bit of good to take from that but like you said he only managed one receiving touchdown so he he really needs that rushing work to to spike a little bit if he's gonna get up into that top you know top 12 again yeah i agree i mean uh, and he, let me clarify he's the running back 17 and half point ppr that's my default uh you know whenever i'm throwing stats out there i always uh lean on half point ppr because it's just a happy medium depending on anybody who does the full PPR uh, standard or half, I think half is just an easy medium to, to fall back on. I think it's my favorite, my favorite format personally. Mine as well. Yeah. And I, I think you nailed, uh, I think you hit the, why can I not ever get the yeah. saying right? <laughs> you messed that one yeah. up last time. The nail, the, the nail <laughs> on the head? I think you hit the nail on the head, Nate. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, the Jets running backs, they were dead last in red zone carries this year. So touchdowns is where I think you really uh, highlighted what my issue is with, with Le'Veon Bell. And Adam Gase running backs have been dead last in red zone carries for three years straight, going back to his Miami days. And the mm. running backs have a total eight red zone rushing touchdowns out of Adam Gase in the last three years combined. So... It's wow. just really gross, and you know, you talk about Pittsburgh. We're just seeing nothing that we saw in New York with Le'Veon Bell that we saw in Pittsburgh with him, and it ties into how I feel for him in in redraft because he he probably slowly creeps up boards over the off season with the less pieces that the Jets end up adding, and like you said, I think we're all in agreement that he does come back for twenty twenty, or it's almost impossible not to see him come back financially. And I, I think positive touchdown regression will will get thrown around with Le'Veon Bell. Because he had just the three rushing touchdowns this year, but it wasn't a fluke. He just didn't have the chances to score from in close. And all three of those (laughs) rushing touchdowns actually came at the goal line. But Lev had just five goal line carries in 2019. So a player like Leonard Fournette, I'll probably champion for positive touchdown regression, but Mm -hmm. Le'Veon Bell, I won't. I mean, they were the only two players with over 200 carries and fewer than five rushing touchdowns. But Le'Veon Bell, it's hard to see it coming back for him. Okay, guys, let me hit you with a Le'Veon Bell either or, okay? Sure. Okay, Nate. So Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley? Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> Wide receiver. <laughs> I'm so afraid of uh, the Rams offense in general uh, next year. But w- with that said, um, almost anything is better than the Jets and Adam Gase. So <laughs> give me Todd Gurley. Okay. Um, so let's go Let's go, Chris Carson. For me, I'm, I'm a big Chris Carson fan, yeah. man. I, yeah. I, Long term, it's kind of hard to see um, just because you never know, uh, especially with the Seahawks and, and Pete Carroll, what he wants to do there. And if, if he can't stay healthy, then obviously it's, it's, not a, it's not a good situation. But Carson, man, when, when he's given the touches, given the opportunity, he is a beast out there. And, uh, you know, t- he's a top 10 back for me. So I'm fading Le'Veon Bell. So it's probably going to be whoever else you you name yeah agree um, yeah you know so that's the i mean go go ahead and try me but i, I think that's kind of yeah. how i feel about Le'Veon bell totally how about marlon mack mack for sure yeah yeah david montgomery i love david montgomery yeah, yeah. okay yeah so you're fading him hard i i think he's probably mm-hmm. right in there with david montgomery for me how about you ty i think i'd take david montgomery there just because the upside i just i'd really love to see david montgomery get more involved in the passing game yeah for sure Okay, so I'm going to move us along to uh, another fruitful but ambiguous nonetheless situation, uh, the San Francisco 49ers backfield. So uh, we've seen a lot of exposure for them through the playoffs. They're going into the Super Bowl. It's going to be a great game. But the season, uh, just as great, I guess you could say, for this group. As a team, they ran for over 2,300 yards. They had the most rushing touchdowns in the league. Uh, I think we know that their their three-headed attack had Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, and Raheem Mostert. 
Uh, Mostert was actually the best finisher at running back 26. And sorry, Nate, I got to apologize. I defaulted mine to PPR, so um, it that's might fine. be a little bit different there. But uh, no, Mostert good. is uh, 26th. Tevin Coleman finished as running back 39. And Matt Breida kind of disappointed with a running back 46 finish. So, Nate, this is a really productive backfield. There's a lot of mm-hmm. bodies. Um, how do you see these guys shaping up moving into next season? Do you think they're all back or, or how do you think that's shaken out? I don't think they're all back, but I... If anything we've learned from this season with the 49ers in their backfield is that they don't need to give that one guy, you know, a heavy workload. They know to to uh, rotate, you know, whether it's by necessity or planning on, on their end. But, you know, we found that, you know, each guy was effective when in there. Matt Breida, for some reason, didn't get the opportunity as much as possible. I don't know what was going on in the back there but he's a free agent heading into this season so I don't see him re-signing with the Niners you know they're still tied up with uh, Mostert who they just signed through 2021 um, this month so uh, Jarek McKinnon obviously injured guy I'm not sure I'm not sure they they have most of their you know money locked up with him as far the backfield goes yeah he's entering his most expensive season uh, of that deal and I think there's still four million a dead cap on it it's unbelievable. And Tevin Coleman, I really like him a ton, but you know, anything can happen in the off season and he's got a zero uh, dead cap mm-hmm. on him this year. So uh, it would be surprising to see him go, but I, I still, of the guys listed, I would say Moster and Coleman are absolute locks to stay on this team. Um, and then anything else, uh, can, you know, anything can happen between the, the other guys going forward. Yeah, and I, I think you kind of you said it best. I think we have to look at the San Francisco running back from a team level for sure because we have to ask who do, do who do we think is going to be the lead back? Raheem Mostert's a, a tough guy to predict in a lead back role, no matter how well he fits the offense. And right. then we have to ask, yeah, do we think this offense even operates with the lead back in twenty twenty? And I think all of our answer would be no. But on paper, I mean, it is as attractive of a run game as it gets. San Francisco had over 2,300 rushing yards this uh, this year. That was still mm-hmm. over 1,000 yards less than number one Baltimore Ravens, though. <laughs> well, you, you could you could thank that to uh, Lamar Jackson yeah, for his exactly. 1,200 yards rushing. So yeah, totally. <laughs> I tweeted out earlier, actually, uh, that there was only one team in 2019 with multiple 1,000-yard rushers, and uh, it was Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. So, you know, that was Mark Ingram and, and Lamar Jackson, obviously, both had over 1,000 yards rushing. Yeah, that is just insane. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what San Francisco did is even more impressive considering they don't have a mobile quarterback. Like the 49ers, they had the most rushing touchdowns in 2019, and that's true for the running backs as well. And the 49ers mm-hmm. running backs, they had some of the most volume, efficiency, big plays, and they had the second most carries for running backs in the red zone as a team. So honestly, in 2020, I see it being a pretty tough backfield to do projections for. That's kind of my big takeaway <laughs> right now. Because Kyle, Kyle Shanahan's always been willing to go with a hot hand. But he's also been willing to to funnel touches to a single running back. I mean, what one thing's for sure, we want the lead back in San Francisco. We want the running back getting the touches at the goal line. Well, I think I think what they showed this year, and obviously it all depends if, if they go all the way with it and they, they win the Super Bowl this weekend, uh, then, you know, we'll, we'll end up, we'll see if, uh, you know, their strategy worked. It, it had worked for them all year. It got them to the Super Bowl, but really just rotating in and out guys so that way, you know, you always had fresh legs in there. You know, they did a great job just dividing up the work amongst uh, anyone they had available. So, of course, we saw, you know, Mostert really shine toward the end there. But Tevin Coleman was kind of a, a, a you know, a good stable for them as well. But, again, I just, yeah, the way Wilson this offense runs, I just don't see them really pushing to, to get that guy that they're going to hand the ball off to, you know, 300 times. Yeah, I mean, even with all that production in San Francisco, they didn't have a running back who was over, who was top 30 in carries. They didn't have a running back who was top 25 in yards from scrimmage. So, yeah, right. we're, we're singing, we're singing. So what, what, what do, you, do you have any value in uh, Raheem Mostert? Like, are you willing to take him and say, like, the top six rounds of redraft next year? Because he kind of fits that bill of the Alex Collins, the Damian Williams of 2020. I, I wouldn't say that I'd be looking for him at yeah. all. But if it's going to be a situational thing, right? So I, I'm glad that you said sixth round because that's kind of where I was looking at for him. So you're pushing. If he does, 
yeah if he, so if he falls to about the sixth right and say i've i've drafted myself two running backs and i've got three wide receivers at that point and i want to throw a third running back in there then sure i mean obviously i'll look at who else is is on the docket there but i'd take a chance on Mostert and hope that you know what he's done toward the end of this season can carry over to next year but again just the way this backfield has worked out i'm not sold on whether or not he'd he'd be the guy and he'd be in a workhorse role uh, but it's worth it once you get to the sixth round to to take chances on guys like that yeah that's a good point man and i think for me I'm I'm probably right around a push at the sixth round to start drafting the San Francisco lead back, whoever that may be. But I actually mm-hmm. think that if we can guarantee that it's going to be a two-man show, I think that, you know, we could potentially get two strong running back twos out of that backfield. Uh, we know that they're going to be, you know, pretty run heavy. We know that they're going to be efficient because Kyle Shanahan is just a genius when it comes to having a really good run run game. Um, I did kind of a little loosey-goosey exercise here, um, and we, we keep... Mostert's points the same, but if you look at Brita and Coleman together, those two scored 238.7 PPR fantasy points, uh, which would have been a top 12 running back in PPR. So obviously, like I said, that's really loosey goosey. Uh, but yeah. I think what it shows is there's a lot of points to be had out of that backfield. It's just the the tricky part is that it's been a three man show, right? We want it to be that two man show, so we have maybe a little bit more clarity. We might have to pick one of those two guys, but I think you know the other guy could be pretty fruitful depending on where you have to take him. Yeah, you know, you could be loosey-goosey all you want. You know, Mike Mike Wright from the Fantasy Footballers recently said, uh, you know, if you combine all the points for the Cardinals' uh, backfield, that you'd get like a top five running back. So, uh, you know, it's 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 okay to do those things. We play with numbers totally. all the time in this in this game. So, anytime you see say something like that, you know, it, it it's hard to extrapolate valuable information out of it. But one thing you can take away is that hey, something's working in that run game and you may want a piece of that run game uh, going forward. And, you know, sometimes your guess is as good as mine at who that will end up being. But depending on the round, the the risk is worth the reward if that guy ends up being, you know, the guy in that backfield next season. Yeah, and we got to keep in mind, we can always own all three of them on our dynasty rosters and on our redraft rosters if we have the room, you know, because they are cheap enough to do so. And it's it's been successful with the Saints, with the Patriots, with teams in the past, and the 49ers might be next on that. And I kind of want to just finish uh, the 49ers waxing a little bit poetic on Raheem Mostert. I just think you guys are... You're hurting me a little bit because I'm I'm fifth round for Raheem Mostert. Really? <laughs> well, I just I really like Raheem Mostert. He's just yeah. such a perfect fit. He's a one cut former track star running back in this you know outside uh, zone scheme. And you know actually I'll just I'll show how explosive Raheem Mostert was among qualified running backs. He was number one in yards per carry, number one in yards before contact, number one in breakaway percentage, the most explosive rush percentage, the best DVOA. And this is my favorite kind of junk. Seventeen percent of Mostert's carries went for ten plus yards. Number one among running backs. 10% of his carries went over 15 yards, again, number one in the NFL, and only Nick Chubb had more total rushes of 15-plus yards. So his snaps were low in 2019, but he's also sixth in fantasy points per snaps. So I just there's there's a lot of arguments that people can make against Raheem Mostert, but once he came on, he was the running back eight from weeks 12 on, and you know he scored eight touchdowns over those final six games. So he can score from deep, and he can get a bigger role in both the passing game and in the red zone in 2020. Well, that's amazing because... Obviously, it's January. It's like not even close to, you know, the 2020 season. But uh, according to Football Calculator, uh, it says that Moser's going at 9.06 right now in, in drafts. Really? But who, who, yeah, who knows how many people are actually mock drafting at this point? Yeah, totally. But there are plenty of degenerates out there like us. So yeah, uh, I'm doing best you know, balls we'll, in a We'll see what happens. I've done a mock draft yeah, oh, already. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Okay, guys, I'm going to get into the next guy, Kareem Hunt here, and just bear with me because I kind of have to tell the listeners the story of Kareem Hunt really quick. So let's get to him because the Kareem is not rising to the top. His career started in the clouds. We all remember paired with Andy Reid, Kansas City offense. He looked on his way to multiple seasons of elite running back value. He was the most elusive running back on PFF over those two years and one of the best graded. Since then, just a laundry list of issues, some serious issues, some really callous acts as well. I won't start because I get really heated talking about the NFL and players and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. somehow his old buddy John Dorsey took a shot on him in the offseason. Amazing that Cream Hunt was allowed to play this season. 
But after serving a suspension, he did suit up for the Browns this year. We saw him used in kind of a niche role with Cleveland, but at the very least, we were able to confirm Kareem Hunt is elite when it comes to catching the ball even outside of Andy Reid's system. Now, I'm almost back to the present, guys. Kareem Hunt is pulled over in Ohio speeding in his mom's car, by the way, and there's pot in there, and we hear that it's his brother's, even though it's entirely obvious it's his jazz cabbage. Nevertheless, <laughs> that's... What, you guys never heard jazz cabbage? I've never heard no? jazz cabbage, no. <laughs> I just, I just love your lettuce. vocabulary. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, that's how the tale's originally told. Then on Monday, a video gets released, and additional information comes to light, including a guy who's been dealing with alcohol counseling, has open liquor in his car. Uh, it's, it's actually really funny to listen to the exchange and cream hunt wine about how he's not playing in the Super Bowl and should be just pure delusion. And I, I encourage everyone to go look at the video, but now we're here present day. The Browns have a little over a month to tender cream hunt. He's a restricted free agent. We wanted to explore the possibility cream hunt, you know, might be back with Cleveland. It's really not looking like that. John Dorsey's out of the building who signed him and the new GM who I love the hire he's probably going to make an example of cream hunt. So I just don't see him back in Cleveland. So guys instead, like I do with Tom Cruise, especially nineties, Tom Cruise movies, let's remove the personality, remove the guy. Let's just talk about his talent. So Nate, if you haven't fallen asleep while well, I went on and on there, mm -hmm. uh, do you think cream hunt has a future as an elite running back? And now that we know he's likely to be on his third team in three years, do you have any yep. favorite landing spots for him? All right. So <clears throat> I, let me just start by saying this. I'm 100% with you when it comes to sketchy characters in the NFL. Um, it really bothers me. <clears throat> so I'm typically not a a champion for characters that have issues off the field and they just can't keep themselves out of trouble. And we all know it doesn't matter how talented you are, eventually that stuff catches up to you. However, with Kareem Hunt, I'm, I'm just going to say, he, you know, he's a true monster RB1. And he deserves a full work workload. You know, he finished as the RB11 in half-point PPR in 2018, had 14 total touchdowns and over 100 or over 1,000 all-purpose yards in just 11 games, guys. So yeah. he's he, the dude seven is legit, right? Seven receiving touchdowns. Yeah, seven receiving, seven <laughs> rushing yeah. in just 11 games. Yeah. Okay? So, you know, going back to his last full season in 2017, he was the RB4. Now, he was the only top 50 running back in 2019 with single-digit games played. So mm, out of top 50 running backs, he was the only one that did not play in double-digit games this year. Uh, in the last eight games when Hunt came back, only 15.4 fantasy points separated Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So 155 total touches for Nick Chubb generated 98.3 fantasy points, which ended up being 0.63 points per touch. Now, Kareem Hunt had 80 total touches with uh, 82 fantasy points, and that total was 1.04 points per touch. So he generated almost a half a point more per touch than Nick Chubb since he came in with the Browns. And get this, guys. He's only 24 years old. Yeah. So, okay. So there's still a lot of room for this guy to grow off the field and on the field. Uh, he's still in his prime as far as age goes. So I'm praying to God that he, he does go. And I'm hoping that this last, you know, incident does encourage the Browns to, to release him or, or trade him away, whatever they need to do. Uh, because for me, Kareem Hunt needs to be on a team where he gets that full workload. And you ask, you ask the question uh, where I think his ideal landing spot is. And it, for me, it's Tampa Bay. It is. Eh? The Buccaneers. That's the only thing they're really missing is, is something in that backfield. Uh, because, you know, their air attack is unbelievable. So if they had somebody like Kareem Hunt there who can also catch the ball, ah, man, I'm, I'm super excited for Kareem Hunt if he is no longer on the Cleveland Browns. So that that's my my whole cream hunt take. I know it took a while to get it out there, but I, I do like the guy. Yeah, not as long as my intro. I, I love the call with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. Head coach Bruce Arians, he has a history with project players. He's pure players coach. And ask Ronald Jones, man. Arians demands his running backs to be able to pass block. Say what you want. Uh, Bruce Arians demands it. And cream hunt looked like he could play fullback out there throwing lead blocks for Nick Chubb in 2019. For sure. Trav, you got any uh, favorite landing spots you're looking at? Yeah, I got Because I'm not sure Kansas City's, uh, I don't think they'll take it back. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Big Red's having that. 
Yeah, so mine, uh, it's not very sexy, but I think I kind of like him going to the Dolphins. Um, the offense there seems to be evolving a little bit with Preston Williams and Devontae Parker's fifth-year breakout. Um, and it kind of looks like Fitzmagic should be back there, and, and it's kind of seeming like they're going to go hard after Tua. And I think that's best-case Ontario. Um, I just really want to see Kareem Hunt be the focal point, and I think that offense, if they if they get a young quarterback coming in there, they're going to need to have a running back be the focal point and kind of help out that quarterback as he acclimates. Um, so I, I'm kind of liking him in Miami. Uh, their running backs averaged over six targets a game over the last five weeks of the year, and they just brought in Chan Gailey, who is responsible for that massive C.J. Spiller season a few years ago with Buffalo. Uh, he had over 1,700 scrimmage yards, and I think Kareem Hunt can do a lot of what C.J. Spiller did back then with the Buffalo Bills, so I'd kind of like to see it. Yeah, I really like that call. Actually, at first, at first, I want to be like, eh, you know, man, I don't want him to go on a team that you know he can't really score much. But uh, the truth is, with a guy like Cream Hunt, um, you know, I worry about the the Dolphins and how many opportunities are they going to have to score, um, and you know, how often are they going to be playing from behind? Those are things you typically worry about with running backs. But seeing that he's a, also a pass catcher, he's pretty much you know game script proof. So even if they're playing from behind and they need to toss the ball, you know, you bet you bet that they're going to, you know, check down to, to Kareem Hunt as often as they can. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like that landing spot for him as well. Okay, Ty, hit us with yours. Well, yeah, I, I definitely like the Buccaneers. I think that's the best one. I think some of the unlikely teams that will be linked to him are teams like the Texans and Jaguars. I just think cap constrictions and, you know, crowded running back rooms that are – invested in and then i think atlanta's another team that won't happen they have cap issues hooper to sign it you know kareem hunt plus freeman's dead cap that would just be way too much spent on the running back but my dark horse teams that i would just love it won't happen but the arizona cardinals would just be an amazing fit and then the detroit lions i would just love that because they just are craving a three down running back for the last you know 20 years but i imagine they keep calm and carry on but I just want to ask, what do you guys think his value is? Because he's pretty much the new Josh Gordon to me. But, you know, you, you nailed it, Nate. He's so young. That's a big factor to me. And we know his value is super tied to his landing spot in free agency and his pass catching upside in that offense. But are you guys are you guys just valuing him as an RB2? You're still happy valuing him as an RB2? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you so know. Are you closer to RB12 or are you closer to RB24? Man. Uh, okay, happy medium, mid-range yeah, me RB2, <laughs> right? Uh, but again, landing spot would change that for me, exactly. right? So if he, yeah. if, he, if he remains with, you know, the Cleveland Browns who have a workhorse back and Nick Chubb who's going to get the majority of, of touches, then, yeah, he's in that mid-range for me, maybe even lower RB2. But, you know, if, if he finds himself in an offense where he's the guy, he could be in, you know low-end RB1 territory for me. So I'm looking, hovering right around the 12, RB12, uh, if not a top 10 running back, if he finds himself in in a decent offense like, you know, Tampa Bay, where they can score a ton, and, uh, you know, he's the only guy back there. So it all depends on landing spot, but either way, I'm pretty pumped for Kareem Hunt, even with his limited uh you know, games we saw this year, he was still effective, if not more effective than Nick Chubb, believe it or not, um, when it comes a point, you know, to a points per touch uh, situation, then, you know, Kareem Hunt was actually even better than Nick Chubb this year. Yeah, I think that's another push for us too at mid-range running back too, um, until we see some new developments, obviously. So Nate, I'm going to go to another one here where we got some new developments actually in the last uh, few days. I think it was the day before yesterday we got the news about Philip Rivers and the fact that he is not going to be back with the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, well, Jay, Jay Glazer walked it back a touch. Today. Did he? Yeah, did you see that? I didn't. <laughs> it was it was adorable. <laughs> he's like, well, I didn't say he's going for sure, but we all know he's going Well, for I mean, sure. the fact that neither side came out and spoke up and said, uh, Jay Glazer's wrong about this mm-hmm. kind of tells you that, you know, there's gotta be something there. So for me, I was, I was a little surprised that they're jumping the gun so soon on, on making a decision to quote, quote, move on from Philip Rivers. Now I understand he hasn't been, you know, the Philip Rivers of old. Uh, this team needs some desperate change because, you know, more than half of the, the, 
fans that show up to their games are rooting for the other team. <laughs> and, that, and you know, that's at home games, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So they need to do something, but I hope they have something in place already um, before they go ahead and just you know let him walk uh, because there aren't many quarterbacks out there that you can just grab, put on your team, and be successful right away. And if you're if you're looking for a rookie in the draft, then it's going to take you quite some time. Not you know, Lamar Jackson's of the world, and those guys don't just pop up you know every season. So you know, for me, I, I was surprised by it, and, and I don't know if they actually took the time to talk to Philip Rivers and say, hey, where's your head at? You know, what are you doing before they went ahead and made the decision? But I don't know the details of that. But again, I was just I was surprised by the whole thing. Yeah, it was definitely interesting at this point in the offseason to to make such kind of a clear stance on him. But, you know, it is what it is, and we got to kind of move forward for fantasy football. So you mentioned kind of the who they're going to bring in to keep the offense afloat. I, I think we could see a big shift in this offense, actually, because I think they actually might have their bridge quarterback on the roster already in Tyrod Taylor. Um, Tyrod's on... Uh, Tyrod's only... Tyrod's only going to cost them $7.5 million next year, and I think they probably will go hard after a quarterback in the draft. And it doesn't quite look like, unless they trade up, it doesn't look like they're in the range to get a Tua or obviously a Joe Burrow. Um, so it's looking like if they're going to take one at seven, they're probably going to be looking at a Justin Herbert or a Jordan Love. Um, but it's hard to say whether those guys are going to be ready to play, obviously. So I think, you know, a veteran bridge is definitely in the cards. And Tyrod at $7.5 million is a good price for your starting quarterback. And... I just think it's going to be a big shift for that offense. What do you, how do you think they attack that, Nate? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Tyrod Taylor. And, and if you guys have listened to me for a while, I am not a fan of Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> I I call him Ty Fraud, right? So and it's one of those things. I'm That's like, like a sixth oh. nickname. Yeah, well, anytime anytime somebody says like Tyrod Taylor, I'm like, oh yeah, he's a good chef at my uh, local uh, Applebee's, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, he he makes a mean, you know, BLT or something like. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's as you say that, I have to admit, at least for fantasy football purposes, he kind of fits the mold of you know he's he's that mobile quarterback, right? He can he can break a big run, and uh, you know I. I tweeted out a stat just a couple days ago. I think it was uh, eight of the top 10 um, quarterbacks had 50-plus rushes, and I think that was the first time that that many top 10 running back or um, quarterbacks had that amount of uh, rushing attempts. So, uh, And they all had over 200 yards rushing as well. So I think you said it perfectly when you call him a bridge quarterback because I think that's exactly what he would be. He would just be a bridge for this season maybe – a little bit into next season, but um, I don't know. It, it's he's not like gonna be a great quarterback for a young guy to come in and watch. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's not gonna be one of those guys where you, as a young quarterback, you're like, yeah, that's I'm learning a ton from Tyrod Taylor. You know, and and not to be disrespectful at all, but it's just he's not the type of quarterback that you want your young guy to mold after. You know what I mean? So no, he's the um, opposite. Yeah, right. He doesn't exactly. Throw with anticipation, like yeah, he doesn't do anything you want a young quarterback to take on at the next level. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's actually quite a few pretty good free agent quarterbacks out there. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Dak Prescott, Tom Brady. You know, you've got other guys out there that, especially Tom Brady. Like if if you got Tom Brady out there, you might be getting you know all your fans back you might be getting to 95% of your fan base now going to your home games and not not to mention i know he's he's older but that's the type of guy you want a young guy to come in and and you know watch play and learn for a season or two before you throw him in there so yeah mixed bag for me on Tyrod Taylor yeah i think we're kind of all on the same page like there doesn't seem to be a great option in free agency Tyrod Taylor seems like a very I don't know. He, he throws a good deep ball. He can use his legs, but we all dislike Tyrod Taylor. I mean, let's be honest. I actually, I, yeah, like I really don't see a free agent option. There's a lot of trade targets, though. I mean, if if the Tampa Bay news is serious, then Jameis Winston, we could do an old musical chair scenario. That would be a huge plus for the Chargers, in my opinion, at least for fantasy yeah. and lo- in the long term. Tom Brady, obviously, would be a great option. Teddy Bridgewater, that doesn't really make much sense. I... I don't know, maybe a Derek Carr, Jacoby Brissett, no thanks, Nick Foles, Josh Rosen would be funny because, you know, their terrible offensive line and Rosen's inability to escape a situation with a terrible offensive line, that's a true match made in hell. 
I think my favorite option is a guy who would totally embrace LA. He would make in style magazines, worst dress list every issue. And that'd be hat Newton. I mean, cam Newton, uh, go into the new building in style. That's what I say. Go cam Newton. I I love cam Newton, man. I don't know what it is. It's just like, he he was, yeah. (laughs) I mean, he, he's pretty much, you know, he had one season, maybe two where he's like outside the top 10, but other than that, he's a top five fantasy option. You know, um, so if he's healthy and he's back, man, I, I, I would really like to see him uh, excel in this game again because, man, he's exciting to watch. I, I really like Cam Newton. Yeah, and my, my other option, you know, a lot of people, we know the Chargers pick top 10. I'm telling you, they're going to have to move up if they want Tua, and they're going to have to move up if they want Justin Herbert. They, he is really blown up after the senior bowl, and I, I just really don't think the Chargers are going to be able to just sit and take him. And, yeah, I think Jordan Love really, really fell out of favor at the senior bowl. I think he'll be more like a second-round pick. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see nonetheless. I think, you know, whoever lands there obviously is going to have a significant effect on the weapons. If Tyrod is the bridge guy, I think that hurts all of these guys quite a bit. I mean, Tyrod's never thrown for 3,500 pass yards in his career. Uh, we know that there can be some times where he defaults to his legs a little bit. But, I mean, if Tyrod's in there, we're not going to see that 4,000-yard, 25-plus touchdown guy. You know, I think it's going to hurt these weapons quite a bit. Nate, what do you think about, what are you doing with these weapons in Los Angeles? It's it's kind of hard to unfurl all that, hey? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it depends on who comes in, right? So if they do, if they're comfortable enough with Tyrod Taylor, they can all be pretty serviceable. But I think we're all underestimating, like, just because Philip Rivers hasn't been what he used to be, he's still much better than a lot of options out there, right? So that's why that's why I'm a little surprised here. And he loved checking down to Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. So Led the NFL he's, he's one guy, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm very concerned for Austin Eckler in this situation just because, hey, quarterback comes in. If he doesn't want to check down to, mm-hmm. you know, the running back, then he's losing a huge part of his value. And, you know, Keenan Allen, I think Keenan Allen, I'm not worried about him. He's he's just a beast. And I think he's we, – we've pretty much yet to see it. So I can't say he's quarterback proof. But um, I just think he's a rare talent. And I think, uh, you know, whoever comes on or bridging or whoever it is is going to know to, hey, feed Keenan Allen. They're going to know, throw him the ball. He's the guy I want to target. So uh, – but, yeah, everybody else, for me – with Philip Rivers gone, it depends on who they get. But Keenan Allen's the only guy I'm interested in in that offense. And just because I think the price you're going to have to pay on Austin Eckler after the season he had, especially if Melvin Gordon goes, I'm a little worried about his value if you know the quarterback that comes in doesn't check down to him. Yeah, and I, I think Christian McCaffrey kind of overshadows how historic Austin Eckler's year was from a pass-catching perspective. I mean... He had 993 receiving yards in 2019. That was the fourth most by a running back in the history of the NFL. And you mentioned Kareem Hunt's seven touchdowns receiving in that 11 games he played. Uh, Austin Eckler had eight receiving touchdowns this year. That was just one shy of the NFL record. So it's pretty remarkable what he did. And there's almost no way you can't see that coming down, regardless of who comes in. But if it is somebody who's a mobile quarterback like Tyrod Taylor, the the running back targets that have been league lead over the last two seasons are definitely... uh, up for debate yeah and austin eckler just to go further i know you brought up the the eight touchdowns that led the led the league for running backs with receiving touchdowns but austin eckler also had the most top 12 receiving yard uh performances for running backs in 2019 he had four cmc had three and then everybody else on the list who recorded a top 12 yard performance uh had one so um yeah i mean austin eckler like, like I said, re- the receiving game was so such a big part of his game that if somebody else that comes in doesn't check down to him, then his value's in trouble, and we're going to see some kind of you know negative regression here. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, in the realm of possibilities. I, I don't want to get too hung up on Tyrod because there is a lot to shake out here, but I think with his salary and the fact that he's already on the team, is it's a real possibility. In, uh, in Tyrod's three starting seasons in Buffalo, he actually never had a running back with more than 77 targets. Shady did that in 2017, but the two years prior, Shady only had 57 and 50 targets respectively. So obviously different coaching staff and, you know, a different time and whatnot. But I think there is something to be said about uh, the more mobile quarterbacks and and the amount of targets that running backs are going to get. 
It's it's a similar coaching staff. We could note that that yeah. Tyrod uh, did work with Anthony Lynn and had a couple of his best years in Buffalo under Anthony Lynn, who's now the head coach in uh, in Los Angeles. There, that's that's a fair point right there. It's so hard to do that because you can make connections with like every coach these days. I know. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is the perfect storm? What's going to happen? Yeah, you know, totally. it's just, it's tough to predict that. Yeah. Especially this year. Like it feels like a really big outlier season where we are up for, you know, just everyone's up for whatever this off season. Like there's going to be a carousel at running back, tight end and quarterback. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> but I'm buying Austin Eckler guys. I think he's like right around top 12. I think the biggest worry is somebody coming in and stealing touchdowns. Obviously, that's going to happen. And all three of Austin Eckler's rushing touchdowns in 2019, check this, came in the first four games when Melvin Gordon was holding out. All three of them. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, because, again, his value is in his receiving game, right? And Mm -hmm. it's just, that's just who he is. He hasn't been anything else. I mean, he did prove that he can handle the workload, um, you know, if, if Melvin Gordon or anybody else isn't there. But what is he, what is that going to do to someone like Austin Eckler over the full season? You know what I mean? We we have we've yet to see that. At least Melvin Gordon came in and kind of gave Austin Eckler a little bit of a break, you know. And when Eckler would come in on on receiving downs, he wasn't doing the full workload anymore. But he was still highly effective just because of how dangerous he is once he gets uh, in the open field. And if somebody checks down to him, then yeah, I'm with you, man. Top 12 for sure. But if if that part of the game is gone because this quarterback comes in, I mean, he'd be kind of crazy not to do it because obviously it works. But you never know. I mean, if they could find a different safety blanket, you know, I mean, that was Philip Rivers' safety blanket this year. It could be Hunter Henry could mm-hmm. could see a, a increase in targets, and you especially know, especially in maybe, the red zone. I think yeah, people for would sure. be shocked about how many targets Austin Eckler seen in the last three years in the red zone right absolutely so you know I mean I'm I'm slightly worried about Austin Eckler he he's you know he's very talented but I gotta see who comes in and, and what that looks like okay so we touched on Hunter Henry there what do you think about Mike Williams or uh do you think you know that deep threat that he provides is going to be kind of a staple in this offense or do you think that's something that could come and go depending on the quarterback that's in play because Philip Rivers like chucking it up to him, but uh, do you think that's going to be something that sustains no matter who's in at quarterback, Nate? I don't think that would sustain no matter who comes in. Uh, you know, I don't view Mike Williams as one of those guys. I was huge on him coming into this season, though, just because of how the previous season ended up. And I thought he finally, you know, he got a connection with Philip Rivers and that he was going to be highly targeted and, and have career highs and everything. And unfortunately, that didn't play out. I think I think the process was there. It's just it's one of those things where, you know, Hunter Henry was back. He had the option to check down to Austin Eckler, who really stepped up this year. And I think those two things alone really devalued Mike Williams. I really am a fan of his talent. I just hope that whoever it is comes in, sees what Philip Rivers saw last season toward you know um and what mike williams is able to do especially in the red zone they've got plenty of red zone targets on this offense so whoever comes in it it, it's going to be a kid in the candy store it's just you you don't know who they're going to lean on i really do like mike williams i'd I'd put him on my team i draft him because you're going to get a great value on him no matter what and he's worth the risk at that point so uh we've seen his upside uh, as we did last year didn't play out this year but that doesn't mean that can't change with with a new quarterback yeah it's been a, a pretty crazy roller coaster for him in his career so far i hope he just kind of levels out and we kind of see get a glimpse of what he might actually be because right now i don't think anybody can say they have any idea what mike williams you know future outlook is right now for sure i agree and with i, I think hunter henry's interesting because he's the least certain piece on the chessboard right now for the chargers because his contract is kind of the elephant in the room i think the transition tag is definitely an option for los angeles and I think he could end up being the highest paid tight end when it's all said and done. And he should break $10 million a season, that's for sure. And what I love about Hunter Henry is he's kind of been used in different ways. It's kind of just like Mike Williams, where this year it was all Mike Williams air yards. Last year it was all Mike Williams touchdowns. And Hunter Henry's had kind of similar. I, I think they're going to be fighting for a lot of the similar work when it comes to the red zone. But I, I just I really like the ceiling with Hunter Henry. He was sixth in intended air yards among tight ends, fourth in air yards per target, seventh highest average depth of target. But he had just 13.5% share of the targets in the red zone. So I thought that was really interesting with Hunter Henry. I just feel like he might have 
a natural bounce back, and that's going to cut into to Mike Williams. When I think a lot of people will be screaming for Mike Williams' uh, positive touchdown regression in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we like I said, we saw it last season. Um, you know, 2019 kind of fell back a little bit. I'm just hoping that we we see that side of him again because he was pretty exciting to watch when when he was catching all those touchdowns. So do you want Hunter Henry or do you want one of the rookie tight ends like a Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson? I'm a huge Hunter Henry fan. So yeah. um, I would prefer him. Okay, so uh, you're, but, you're taking Hunter Henry over Mike Williams next year in redraft. I, I, yeah, I would yeah, think so. I think I am too. Yeah. I think I am too. Yeah. And I was this year for the record. <laughs> that was that was a good call. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, you know, it's kind of tough because once you get outside of Keenan Allen – Austin Eckler, it was kind of a, yeah, you know, season for that offense. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think Hunter Henry kind of hit a wall and it's not supernatural. It's a common symptom of missing an entire season the year before. But yeah, he sure slowed down. He, in his five of his first seven games to start the year, Hunter Henry had 60 yards receiving or more. In the last five games, Henry was under 50 yards receiving in all five of them. So yeah, with a full awful. off season, build that body back up. That's cool. Speaking of let's go, let's go to Tampa Bay and talk about that running back situation because that's another muddy one. Uh, we want to know, Nate, are they going to stick with Ronald Jones? Because it feels like that's definitely their fallback plan, but how, how are you approaching this backfield in Tampa Bay? Oh, man. Um, Ronald Jones. <laughs> he is, he, he like is an do, interesting yeah. – yeah, he's an interesting character, man. He doesn't go away, huh? No, you got to um, just at least let out a big deep sigh before you start. Yeah, he's like a cockroach. Yeah, Sorry, man. It's just, yeah, it's one of those. I, they have to be looking at the running back, the running backs that are available this offseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, I, I, am, I have zero confidence in, in Ronald Jones and what he can do for this offense. He's had flashes, but literally that's all they've been. Um, you know, he hasn't done anything consistently, um, and he's been like an all-time bad, was it last season, uh, where – it was just I'm I'm surprised he wasn't cut by the team to be honest how how bad he was so yeah no 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 interest in Ronald Jones for fantasy purposes at all and again the I, I said it before when I was hoping that Kareem Hunt w- would would land there um, that that's the only thing they're missing on this offense and uh, you know I would like to see that and the truth is it was Duke Johnson when he was a free oh, agent last season yeah man. Tampa Bay was the team that oh I was like, God, please God, have him. And it didn't work out. It's like it's like Tampa Bay just never like, no, nah, we're good. Yeah, and in, in, clearly in their defense, they weren't. Yeah, in their defense, like Bill O'Brien's like, oh, everyone's offering a fifth. I'll give you a third. <laughs> yeah, like come on, yeah. Bill O'Brien. I know that's 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 true, but it's just it was one of those things where I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They they didn't even. It didn't even sound like they were sniffing around. Like the, no, their I, names were never mentioned with any free agent running backs, and I hope that changes this season. Yeah, I think Bruce Arians might even contributed to the zero RB conversation last year. Running backs don't matter uh, debate last year. It was hilarious. <laughs> that <laughs> but, that is true. So maybe before uh, I throw to you, Trav, I wanna I wanna mention. I think Peyton Barber bears of mentioning uh, for a couple reasons. The offensive line and the different roles in the backfield are so clearly defined in Tampa Bay this year. Uh, it just led to massive stack box rates in Tampa Bay. And the 2019 mm-hmm. Peyton Barber, and in 2019, Peyton Barber had the worst yards per carry in football. Guess who was above him, guys, out of all qualified running backs in yards per carry? Can you guys guess who was the second worst in football? We talked Ronald about Jones. No, Bell. we talked. Yeah, it was Love Bell. <laughs> but I love Ronald Jones. If we combined last year and this year, I think Ronald Jones would be up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I did want to mention Peyton Barber because, you know, the situation might not be as appealing as some people want it to be but uh, you know i totally agree that there's so much volume going to be had in this backfield the other reason i wanted to mention barber is that he is a ufa i'm sure tampa bay's told him not to let the door hit him on the way out this year but he leaves right. behind 170 touches and seven touchdowns yeah i mean i i like peyton barber I, th- I think he's a he's a solid veteran you know he's a serviceable running back for football purposes not somebody you want on your fantasy team mm-hmm. um but you know he did just enough to to allow that offense to to function the way it did, and and you know they really need a run game, and I just don't think it's there. I don't think they have it in house. So 
they truly need to make a move this offseason. I felt that way last year. I'm just hoping they do it this season, and Kareem Hunt would be ideal. But we've yet to see what, what would happen with uh, Kareem Hunt and, and the Cleveland Browns. So. so I'm a little bit different. I think it probably would be good for them to invest, but I'm kind of a little bit 50-50 on whether they might go heavy into the position. Just for Ronald Jones, I mean, this year he was the running back 25 on the season in PPR format, so just outside running back two. And this is no way like a ring endorsement, like gimme Ronald Jones on every roster, but <laughs> you know he did have over, over a thousand scrimmage yards after never having more than 55% snaps in a game. He actually only hit 50% three times this season. And he did show a little bit of chops in the passing game. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying he should be the end-all be-all. But that being said, especially with, um, you know, how Bruce Arians used him a little bit more as the season went on, I could see them maybe adding a bit of a lower-cost option and Bruce Arians continuing with that uh, zero-RB real football mentality. Yeah, okay. I, I want to throw, if we're all going to talk Ronald Jones, I'll throw my thoughts on Ronald Jones. I think my big red flag would be that Ronald Jones is just super boomer bust. And I just think he definitely needs more work to have a ceiling, you know, like he, he, I'll put it this way. He had all six of his rushing touchdowns inside the 10 yard line this year. I'm not sure he's going to have that role next season. And he had 30 over 30 catches this year, right on woohoo passing game use. Finally of those 31 catches, zero came in the red zone. I think sharp football said one, but I'm going to go with zero for the dramatics. <laughs> but yeah, my big red yeah, flag I mean, is the boomer bust. And I mean, he only played, I think this might shock people, 36% of the snaps this year. Dari Ogunbowale played 32% of the snaps in 2019. Even in his nine starts, Ronald Jones was at just 43% of the snaps over that stretch. He didn't play more than 55% snaps in a single game. And what, what I mean by no ceiling is Ronald Jones had over 20 PPR points just once this year. I was just going to mention his, his fantasy points and half point PPR, which... Damn it. Uh, Sorry, my, man. My, it's a, no, no, it's my preferred. It's my preferred yeah, yep, half point PPR. Nine of his games were single digits, single wow. digit fantasy points. So, and the only time he rushed for over 100 yards was in meaningless uh, week 17, which nobody cares about in fantasy football. So, yes, week sir. 17 was the only time he went over 100. Previous to that, his best rushing yard game was back in week three with 80 rushing yards. So he's got a lot to prove. I know he's a young guy, but, I mean, he just he's doesn't appear to be the answer there uh, in Tampa Bay. So what do you think the answer is? I know that you, if you had your GM hat on, would take the discounted price and bring in Kareem Hunt, as would I. But do you think that is what happens? Do you think they explore running back in the draft? If so, where do you think they, they look at a running back in the draft? Oh, that's 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 tough. Just because I thought I knew what they were gonna do last year. I know. I thought they were gonna. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just thought they were gonna have their hand on one of those guys, and like I said, they they neglected to even acknowledge anybody, at least you know publicly. So that that's a tough call. I mean, I would love to see Kareem Hunt. I think he's probably the best fit uh, free agent. Um, you know, if the Browns don't match the, you know, I think he's a restricted free agent. So. Um, but I think he's the best match and I don't know. I, I think they're kind of in the position where it'd be tough for them to, to bring on a rookie running back and just have him, you know, kick it off and, 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 and play amazing, uh, in year one. So, you know, if, if they go the rookie route, you're looking at a pretty similar backfield to, to what they had this year. Uh, just because there's a lot of development uh, typically when it comes to uh, rookie running backs. So I don't know. I think their best bet, honestly, is a free agent running back this offseason. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially in a Bruce Arians offense. I mean, we can remember in Arizona, he didn't even want to start. Uh, I can't remember who was it, Adrian Peterson? Was it, it was somebody, Andre Ellington? Somebody was playing ahead of David Johnson in 2015 when they drafted him. Though. I think it was Andre Ellington, yeah. Yeah, and it yeah, was, it was Ellington. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think we can eliminate because there's no way they're using that first round pick. It would be so out of character. So we can eliminate the dream boats, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift. In my opinion, J.K. Dobbins is right there with those two. So those guys are off the table, I think, for the Buccaneers. If one of those three fall to the second round, obviously they would certainly entertain that. If I had to shoot my shot, I'd say they take Cam Akers in the in the third or fourth round. He's been linked to the Bucs. He's close. He's from mm -hmm. FSU. So scouts should have should have a good, you know, notebook on him and 
he looked really good behind a poor offensive line in college, and I, I really like him. I think he'd challenge Ronald Jones for the starting job uh, right away. And I'll say one more name for fun, Zach Moss. Anybody who drafts a running back in round two or three should be looking at Zach Moss from Utah. But Kareem Hunt, make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Nate, I think uh, I think that about does it for our ambiguous situations. Um, I think, you know, we sifted through a lot of the muck there. We cleared some things up for our listeners, and hopefully we added some ammo to the arsenal going into next season. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. It was, it was a blast to, to be on and, um, you know, with my fellow Canadians. Uh, so, <laughs> that you know, anytime you guys want to have me on, um, you know, I'd, I'd be glad to jump on again a, a little bit closer to the season when we get some clarity on some of these situations here. Verbal contract. You got it, man. I, <laughs> co- I, I'm signing it right now. It's Here it is. <laughs> Okay, Nate. So before we get out of here, just got a couple, a uh, couple little things we want to chat about. First off, uh, we mentioned the Super Super Bowl a couple times. You got a Super Bowl prediction for us? Honestly, I I normally do, but this year it's it's one of those things. I don't have a dog in this fight, and I don't have to be a fan of one team or the other. Typically in Super Bowls, if I'm not rooting for somebody like before the game happens, I quickly find myself within the first five minutes of the first quarter leaning toward one team or the other. Uh, not because, you know, oh, they, they look better or they, I think they're going to win. It's just, a, it's just a feeling that I get between those two. So I don't know, man. For me, it, it, this is such a cop-out answer, but I just want to see a good football game. That's it, me man. I, that's I, I just want to see something that's like, you know, what we saw with the Tennessee Titans this, this year in, in the playoffs, like how they freaking handle things. And how exciting their football games were before they were eliminated. I think that's the type of football game I want to see in the Super Bowl, and I want to win my football squares. So that's really what I'm focused on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you said that perfectly, and I'm really just enjoying the process here. It's so refreshing from, you know, will the Patriots beat this team? Are the Patriots coached? Blah, blah, blah. It's so refreshing seeing these two exciting, innovative, well-coached, young, fast teams uh yeah and that's and that's one thing too you know when you when you talk about the patriots this is something i've been wanting to look into i've been thinking about it the last couple days is the kansas city chiefs they they have to be the first team in like 10 years that have gone to the super bowl without having to go through the patriots Mm -hmm. like it's got to be something crazy like that so i want to look at that number uh but you know you have the the tennessee titans to thank for for eliminating them in the wild card round, which they've never been in in the last 10 years either. So I also think a, the Miami Dolphins deserve a little bit of credit from week 17 there, boys. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. They're, they're kind of their uh, their Achilles heel uh, the last couple seasons when it Is comes that to that last the game. the truth? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nate. So we mentioned some of the stuff that uh, that you got going on at the top of the show. Why don't you let us know what you're working on this, uh, this offseason? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can... F- Find me over at Fantrax. I'll be writing articles for them. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, I'll be producing any video content or not for, for them, but um, I'm actually playing around with with something right now where I might be throwing some of my own video uh, content out there. So I just put a tweet out uh, asking, you know, how lengthy uh, people prefer their video content when consuming for fantasy purposes. So I, I went ahead and put that out there. So yeah, I mean, I'll be doing that. I'll probably be writing in the, the the fantasy football black book again with Joe Pisapia and a whole bunch of talented dudes uh, in that. And hopefully I jump on a few pods with, with Keaton, man, my buddy, uh, at the Fantasy Tilt Podcast. But for some reason, if I don't, hey, man, it just opens the door for me to, to guest as many times as I can this year. And, uh, you know, I'd be glad to come back on, on this program and, and talk with you guys again. Yeah, man, and make sure everybody out there buys the Fantasy Black Book this offseason. It's what we pretty much consider the Fantasy Bible in the offseason. And <laughs> Joe Pizapia, Jake Seeley, the people who contribute to this are the goats of the industry. There's no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had an unbelievable list. You know, Derek Brown, he's one of my favorite dudes. Mm-hmm. I talked to him every day. Uh, you know, Scott Bogman, uh, oh, man. Gary Those Davenport. Guys, just, just everybody, man. Just really quick, man. The ITL, what they do there is it's so amazing because scott bogman and the welsh man what they can do yeah. and how funny they can be while still giving you really good information bogman and his prospect reports it's it's just incredible what how, how they can go about doing that and then you go to jake seeley and you know all i need is his futurama a couple futurama jokes and and his and his <laughs> rankings you know what i mean 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's he is unbelievable ranker. I mean, he's always top three, you know, Mm -hmm. in every season. I don't know how he does it. Just ask Uh, him. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So, you know, we're we're all brothers, uh, you know, everybody that's been uh, contributing to the fantasy football black book. So, yeah, absolutely. Go out there and get it uh, when it becomes available to you. And, uh, you know, you won't regret it. Yeah, you're you're immediately gaining an advantage. So again, thanks so much, Nate. Like, I I really can't thank you enough. We really appreciate it. And uh, make sure you don't work too hard, eh, pal? Hey, Trav, Ty, man, I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll try not to... Uh, who am I kidding me? I'm going to be grinding the whole time. So, I mean, I can't, I can't put my foot off the pedal, man. I can't do it. So, uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll catch you on the other side. Absolutely. Uh, any of our listeners need to make sure that they're going out there and following Nate Hamilton. He's a must follow on Twitter. You can find him at dominate FF. Uh, that's a solid Twitter handle, by the way, Nate. I love that. Um, (laughs) And yeah, so we just want to say thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks again to you, Nate, for joining us. We really, really appreciate the time. And it's been a blast and we can't wait for the next one. Yeah, and check him out on Twitter. That's how I consume all his written content. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All right. Peace. Thank you.